InfoTrack continues. Once again, here's Chris Whitting. You might think that something as common as food allergies affect most people the same way. But a new study seems to show certain racial and income groups are affected differently by food allergies. Here with the story, InfoTrack's Roy Mackey. Roy? Thank you, Chris. Ruchi Gupta, MD, is a professor of pediatrics and medicine at Northwestern University's Feinberg School of Medicine. She's also the founding director of the Center for Food Allergy and Asthma Research at Northwestern University and a physician at the Ann and Robert H. Lurie Children's Hospital of Chicago. Dr. Gupta, you recently published a study on the prevalence and severity of food allergies among U.S. adults. One of the biggest headlines was what you found relating to race and ethnicity. Tell us about that. Sure. Food allergies are very common in the U.S. They impact about 1 in 13 kids and about 1 in 10 adults, and that's about 33 million people. So it's much more common than a lot of people may think. What's interesting is understanding the differences by race ethnicity, and this study cleared this up by showing us that Food allergies impact all racial and ethnic groups, but it actually impacts certain racial and ethnic groups more, including Black, Latinx, and Asian individuals. But the numbers are high across the board, with it impacting white individuals at 9.5%, and then, as I mentioned, racial and ethnic groups a little bit higher, around 10.5%. Your study found that income levels are a major factor in whether someone develops a food allergy. Can you theorize as to why that may be? It's interesting because as we try to understand atopic conditions, I think food allergy has been the slowest to understand if there are disparities that exist. And I'll get into that a little bit because I think it's interesting. So when we say atopic conditions, there's a group of conditions that go together. And those are things like eczema, environmental allergies, food allergies, and asthma. Now, you don't have to have all of them, but if you have one, you are much more likely to have the others. In asthma and eczema, you know, those rose a while ago and kind of plateaued. And for those, we know that there are disparities that exist. For food allergies, we haven't really understood this condition because, as you mentioned, you know, over the last generation, I'd say, you know, when we were young, no one really talked about food allergies and everybody took peanut butter and jelly sandwiches to school. But now it's become so prevalent. And as this increase has happened, it's also very important to understand what's happening across the population. So, you know, different income levels, are there barriers to care? Are they getting the proper diagnosis? And what's interesting about food allergies is that a lot of people, we learned through our surveys, they have a reaction to a food and they take it out of their diet, right? That's what you should do. But many times, especially in adults, they don't go to a doctor to get it diagnosed because You know, they didn't think there was anything the doctor would do other than say, take it out of your diet. And this is really, really important because I really want your listeners to know that if you eat a food and have a negative reaction, it's really, really important to get it diagnosed because there's a lot of different things that can cause food conditions and food allergies can be life-threatening. And you need to have a management plan. You need to have epinephrine. And the exciting piece of this is there are new treatments coming out to actually treat food allergies. So getting to an allergist and getting a good diagnosis and knowing what your options are is really critical. Now the income piece comes in because 
Everyone mostly can have access to a generalist, right? Your family practice physician, your pediatrician, or your internist. But getting to specialists can be tricky sometimes, especially for low-income or Medicaid populations. And that's where we see a little bit of an issue with access to care, because many times primary care doctors don't diagnose food allergy, and it's the allergist that does. So we start seeing access issues in getting that diagnosis, that management plan, that epinephrine, and potential opportunity for new treatments. Our guest on InfoTrack is Dr. Ruchi Gupta, professor of pediatrics and medicine at Northwestern University. She's the founding director of the Center for Food Allergy and Asthma Research at Northwestern and a physician at the Ann and Robert H. Lurie Children's Hospital of Chicago. And we're talking about a recent study she conducted about food allergies in adults. You mentioned peanuts a few minutes ago. What are the most common food allergies among U.S. adults and how do they differ from those of young children? The top nine in kids and adults are the same, but they're in a different order. So in kids, you said it, peanut, everyone knows that. And then you've got milk, shellfish, but then some other common ones are tree nuts, eggs, finfish. Then you've got wheat, soy, and sesame. Sesame is now the ninth most common food allergy in the United States. It's also a very common food allergy across the world. For adults, what's so interesting is the number one food allergy is shellfish, and that's almost at 3%. So a lot of adults are allergic to shellfish. And then you've got milk and peanuts, the tree nuts, and then the same, thin fish, wheat, soy, eggs, and sesame. So same top nine, but shellfish is definitely the most common in adults, whereas it's probably number three in kids. And the other interesting thing is that half of adults told us they developed a new allergy as an adult. So oftentimes we think of food allergies as something that impacts kids. But what we're seeing more and more now is a lot of adults developing a new allergy after the age of 18. Are there risk factors for developing a food allergy as an adult? Yeah, that is a million dollar question. I can tell you one of the top risk factors for developing food allergy in babies is having eczema. But what's fascinating is we did ask our adult population, what do you think may have caused this food allergy? Did anything change in your life? And some of the areas that we're looking at are environmental changes. So did you move and are you exposed to new triggers, whether they be in the environment that may trigger something else in your immune system. Another one is infections. Did you get a viral or a bacterial or or some kind of infection that may have switched something in your immune system? Another big one in women is actually hormones. What we see is many women develop or outgrow food allergies during times like puberty or pregnancy or menopause. So that's something we're looking more and more into. So what throws off the immune system or the microbiome in a way that it turns on that allergic switch? You mentioned new treatment options on the horizon. Maybe you can just talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I would love to. It's a really exciting time. I've been studying food allergies for almost 20 years now, and I have a daughter with food allergies. So it's pretty much my entire job. And, you know, when we began, we really didn't know what was going on, and we just saw this big rise. But what's so exciting right now, like, gives me so much hope is that there are treatments out there. So there's one FDA approved treatment for peanut allergy. 
it's called oral immunotherapy. So it's when you introduce small amounts of the food over time and you desensitize your immune system to that food. So kind of like allergy shots, you know, you go up in quantity until your immune system recognizes it and doesn't react to it to that degree. So oral immunotherapy is one that many allergists are practicing across the country right now. Another one, so same concept, you know, getting your immune system used to the food is done through the skin. It's epicutaneous immunotherapy. And that is a very promising treatment that we're hoping will be out within the next year. A third one is sublingual. So same concept, but under the tongue, small amounts of that protein build up. And then a couple other big ones that are coming out, we call them biologics because they're injections or shots. They disrupt different parts of the immune cascade. So kind of when you have a reaction, when your body sees that food and starts reacting like it's an invader, it turns that reaction off so that the whole reaction doesn't end up happening. And this is really exciting because these would be treatments that you would take like once a month, an injection once a month, and then it could prevent those very serious life-threatening reactions. So there are a lot of treatments coming. We're very hopeful that in the next five years, people will have choices on how to treat their food allergy because we do know it disrupts quality of life because everybody eats multiple times a day and avoiding foods in your diet can be really difficult. The other thing I wanted to bring up was prevention. So we talked about treatment. We do have data on prevention. So if anyone out there is pregnant or has an infant, a really big area is if we can just prevent food allergies from the start. One way to do that that we have seen working for peanut allergy is introduction of peanut products early. So not real peanuts, but you know, watered down peanut butter, introducing it around four to six months if they don't have really severe eczema, getting it into a baby's diet and keeping it in the baby's diet two to three times a week. Most babies love it throughout their infancy. And a study out of London showed that this could reduce peanut allergy by 80%. So we're looking at it in Chicago. One of our big studies is looking at it for the other foods. But if you're comfortable, start introducing some of these allergenic foods, peanuts, egg, milk, tree nuts, wheat, soy into your baby's diet early while their immune system is still developing. And let's see if we can actually prevent it in the beginning and then treat it on the end. And maybe we can see these numbers start to come down. Can you leave us with any final words of advice for adults with food allergies? I would advise any adult out there who's avoiding foods to definitely get a proper diagnosis with an allergist. Super important. There are a lot of, we call them masqueraders, food conditions that may not be a true food allergy, like intolerances or sensitivities, even things like oral allergy syndrome, where you only get tingling around your mouth or rash around your mouth. That's really pollen allergy syndrome or oral allergy syndrome. So understanding what you have is super important because some of these things we can treat and some of them we can't. And even food allergies now, we will be able to treat soon. So definitely get diagnosed. It's important to know what you have and to be able to treat it and not you know, have to avoid a food if you don't have to. Excellent advice from Dr. Ruchi Gupta, MD, Professor of Pediatrics and Medicine at Northwestern University's Feinberg School of Medicine. Doctor, thank you very much for joining us today. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. 
And for InfoTrack, I'm Roy Mackey. You're listening to InfoTrack, a production of Syndication Networks of Chicago.